Take your Bibles and go to the book of Luke, chapter 3. If you've been with us for this series, you're wondering if I thought there was only one chapter in the book of Luke, but uh, after two months, we'll jump to chapter 3. But before we get to the message today, I want to do something uh, that's a little different, maybe a lot different, Uh, and uh, this is the appropriate Sunday of the year to do it. Um, Very much aware that we turn the calendar now and... A new school year is upon us, and well, I'm sure glad I don't go to school anymore because of that. Um, but a lot of you do, and in our church especially, we have a lot of educators, and uh, many of our uh, church folks in this room today and other rooms on other days are involved in the educational process, whether as an administrator in the school system as a teacher in the classroom, as a homeschool teacher, uh, we just have lots of folks in our church who are involved in the education process. And so if that happens to be you, if I just mentioned you, a homeschool teacher, classroom teacher, administrator in the school systems in any way, I want to ask you to just stand up, if you will, and I'm going to pray for you here in just a second. So everybody, if you're involved in any of those circles that I just mentioned, I want you to stand up. And I want us, first of all, I want you to know that as your pastor, I pray for you every day. I believe that y'all are on the front lines of some of the most difficult spiritual warfare that goes on. And uh, that's a big deal. It needs to be a big deal for us as a church that we recognize that these folks of us are out doing battle with the enemy. Uh, And by the way, the enemy are not the kids. It's the spirit of the world. (laughs) Although some kids might fit well too. Um, So, we want to pray for you. I want you to know that as a church, we pray for you, and as a pastor, I pray for you. And I want us to do that. Now, before I do that, I want to give you an announcement, all right? Next Sunday, for those of you who are in our preschool all the way through high school, uh, next Sunday is promotion day, and uh, as part of that, in Sunday school I'm talking, as part of that, my understanding is that there's going to be donuts and stuff in the Family Life Center after the first service, going into the Sunday school hour, all right? So if you can beat the preacher over there, you might get a donut, all right? Um, so that's next week, and we'll you know, have some reminders for you about all of that. But I want us to pray for you now, and just know that this is one prayer as we go into the whole church, uh, the school year, that I'll be praying for you on a regular basis, and I'm asking the rest of us as a church to do that, okay? Let's pray. Lord, so often we treat prayer as if it is just a piece of the worship service that helps us transition between pieces. Or we treat it in our own personal lives as kind of that last resort. And we know better. And we want to do better. Today's a good time for us to do better. So as we turn the calendar now and move into a school year calendar, uh, Lord, I would just lift these up to you, the ones that are standing identified and those others in our church who are not in this service today. I thank you for their calling training that you've allowed them to get 
And so we pray that you would help them to, to be excellent at teaching. We pray that you would give them the ability to rise above the drama of the teacher's lounge and the spot fires of behavioral issues with kids or other teachers or parents even. That you would give them a sense of wisdom and of your spirit that could only be described as coming from you. We pray that they would be agents of peace in their particular places of service. We pray that you would give them insights. We pray that especially at whatever level they're involved, whether it's at home or in a classroom or administrative office, that they would be the salt and the light that you call them to be. We pray that as they touch the lives of those children, they would have the opportunity to point them to you. And as they rub shoulders with parents, that they would have the opportunity to point them to you. And that as they sit in meetings, that they would have the opportunity to point the people around them to you. We believe theirs is a high calling. So we pray your blessings on them as they go into this school year. We pray these things in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen. Luke chapter 3. We turn the corner now. Um, it's a transition passage for us. and uh, let, me, let me tip my hand a little bit for you. Uh, if you happen to have Facebook or um, a Twitter account, uh, one of the things that I do uh, from time to time, typically on a Saturday, it could be a little earlier in the week, depending on uh, several things that, that's happening with me, is I try to kind of give a little bit of a foreshadowing of some of the thinking that we're going to be doing on Sunday through that. And I did that last night. Uh, late last night, I sent out a deal, put on Facebook, uh, and I essentially asked this question. Now, before I give you the question, I'll go back and give you the background for it. I love history, and I love especially those big moments in history when lots of stuff is on the line, typically a battle of some kind, uh, and we have these people who have the ability to put into words uh, this motivation that will take people and just charge hell with a water pistol kind of an attitude. Um, and so through the years, I've tried to go back and pick up some of those historical places, Patton and you know, some of those kind of things. But actually, some of the better ones we find in movies. Uh, so last night, I asked this question. If you had the opportunity to give one of those major motivational kind of a speeches uh, that goes into a battle and you're trying to get people with you motivated into the battle and you could give one of those kind of speeches but you could only use a dozen words, what would you say? Now, I personally thought that was such a high challenge that nobody would take it up. Man, was I wrong. I, I love some of what I got from y'all. Now, my son, now he's the brainiac in the family, or one of them, um, he quickly responded to that. I don't remember how long it was after I posted it, but it wasn't long at all. And he came back and put one of those YouTube video clips on there from one of my 
uh, son's favorite movies, which is Gladiator. You remember Russell Crowe, and, and before he goes into battle, right at the beginning part of the movie, he says, what we do in this life echoes into eternity. Now, I don't know if that's less than a dozen words or not, but I gave my son credit for it anyway, okay? That's a great statement. And so another one of our church members uh, responded to that, and I loved what he said. And I was reading it to my wife this morning, and she said, what movie is that from? I said, I don't think so. I think that's just from his life, and I loved it even better. It's great. And another church member this morning went back to Return of the King and the words of Aragorn, and I don't remember exactly what he said in that from the Lord of the Rings trilogy, uh, but he said something along the lines of, uh, let's go die. No, not that. Something like that. I don't remember what, but it was one of those kind of things when he said it is just, you know, you kind of get pumped up. Say, let's go. Braveheart. You remember one of the great sequences of all cinematic history is Mel Gibson and Braveheart as he's talking to those guys. The motivational moments where they just capture the spirit of the moment and it's let's go. If you had to do that, in 11 words or less, what would you say? i got to give you some background on where I'm thinking this morning because this sermon is going to be a little bit kind of, it's going to be one of those that makes you walk kind of sideways. Okay? It's not the one that orients you and helps you, uh, although I think the end of it will do that. But my manner of thinking going into it is a little bit different today. And I know that, so I'm going to tell you ahead of time so you stay with me. Let, let me twist the statement. If God were to say to you in 12 words or less, go get them, in a motivational kind of a speech thing, what do you think he would say to you? Here's a truth that I want you to hang on to. God regularly acts and speaks so as to empower us for service. God regularly acts and speaks so as to empower us for service. Here's a reality for you. I alluded to it in my prayer for our teachers. But the reality of this is for all of us, we all step out of our lives in the morning into the world that is Monday morning, and it's a battle. And I happen to believe that God has something to say to you every day that is that motivational push for you. I'm going to find that today in a passage of Scripture that's a little different, not, not what we normally look at when we come to this. Um, so as we get into that part of it, let me give you another couple of questions that I've been rolling around in my head. Now, I think these are questions that I don't know that we can totally answer them, but I do think it's a worthwhile perspective for us to take. Um, here's a theological truth. I want you to finish it for me, all right? As it relates to the nature of Jesus Christ, we say, theologically correct in what we say, that Jesus was 100% God and what else? 100% man. He's the only 200% person who ever lived. All right? 100% God and 100% man. But here's our struggle. We don't like well, I don't know if I can say it that way. We just act like we don't like the 100% man part. We really push the deity part of Christ as we should. But the reality is if he's 100% both, then there are some struggles that he had to go through. 
Here's the one I want you to think about. At what point in his life, this is the 100% man part of him, at what point in his life do you think Jesus realized that he was who he was? Now, I've been asking that question around. Last weekend, I was going to do a, did a deacon's retreat for a friend of mine in church down the Rio Grande Valley at First Baptist Harlingen. Preached in his church on Sunday. As far as I know, they're having services today, so I didn't kill the church. That's a good thing. But I asked a few of those guys, as I was kind of leading towards this week, ask them that question. At what point in, in his life do you think Jesus realized that he was divine? And one of their answers was, well... He always knew that. Well, that sounds, that's a Sunday school answer. You know what a Sunday school answer is? Yeah, it's one that you know it's Jesus, but it, you know, sure sounds like a squirrel, but it's gotta be Jesus. The answer's gotta be Jesus. Okay? The Sunday school answer is, well, he's 100% God, so he always knew that he was, yeah, well, but see, that defies the 100% man part. You think as an infant, three minutes after birth, that Jesus knew instinctively that he was the Son of God? So I kind of think it was this process. But I think that there must have been a point in there somewhere where it locked in with Jesus. It's not that he wasn't the son of God before that. It's just this ongoing kind of awareness. I I suspect that's true. I don't know. You can't call me a heretic for that because the Bible doesn't speak to that. All right, I'm just kind of trying to process some information here. Um, But if I'm right about that, then something had to trigger that awareness. Some ongoing process. And here's part of the answer. I, one of my family members answered it this way. Well, you know, it says in there, and by the way, it's in this passage of scripture that we're just not covering today, that Jesus and his family went to the feasts. Remember that? And the family left. And as they were a day away, Mary started looking around. Where is that dadgum son of mine? Now, in my house, somebody's fixing to get beaten. All right? But they just go back and they find Jesus and he's at the temple and he's with the scholars and they say to him, now I'm thinking smacking in the process, but maybe not, where were you? What are you doing? And what was Jesus' response? You remember? Did you not know that I would be about my father's business? So somewhere by that time, 12 years of age roughly, must have known or at least had this ongoing awareness that's happening there. I want all of this that I've done so far to sink in with you that there was this human part of Jesus that we normally stick in a closet somewhere so that we can emphasize his deity. But he was the only 200% man who ever lived. And the reality is that somewhere in the process, his humanity was very real. How about you? Is that true for you? Is your humanity very real for you today? So here's a passage of scripture. It's one of those famous passages. We find it all through the gospels. Each one of the gospels has some kind of reference to it, if not an outright treatment of it. And so let's read it here. John, excuse me, Luke chapter three in verse 21. And it says, now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, and with you I am well pleased. And normally we get to this and we talk about why Jesus was baptized. 
That's not that that's a bad question. I just kind of think that maybe it misses the point that Luke's trying to make here. Why did God do this? Why did God believe it was important to speak into that moment and that the Holy Spirit in bodily form, to take the literal Greek word over, in bodily form the Holy Spirit descends like a dove and this voice from heaven echoes out 11 words. Okay, now I'm back to the very beginning that I believe were motivation and clarification for Jesus with what was ahead. We don't normally ask the question why God chose to do this. We normally ask why did Jesus get baptized. Uh, so let's deal with the why do we think God did it today and look at a couple of things. Now, I'm going to take a few minutes here and I'm going to do all of the explanation of the text. I'm going to do the rest of the time. We'll just talk about how it fits our lives. Okay. But here's what I want you to get. This comes, these two verses comes at a critical point in Luke's structure of this thing we call his gospel. Okay. Structurally, Luke is transitioning here. For almost three entire chapters, he has been laying out for us the birth narrative. Actually, birth narratives because we have that of John the Baptist. And so we find his mom and dad in the mix and then his birth. And we find Jesus and his birth, that narrative. That's chapter 2. We did that last Christmas, so I'm skipping all of that right now. We'll do it again in probably this Christmas. But we find that in chapter 2. And in chapter 3 now, we find up to this point, they're dealing primarily with John the Baptist and his mission. But we come to this point, and it is a hinge pin for Luke's gospel. From this point forward, the the floodlight moves off of John the Baptist and fully on to Jesus. But before that happens, the structural part of this says we're going to close off the discussion of the birth and John the Baptist's ministry. We're going to go to Jesus and his ministry, but right there in the middle are these few verses and a couple other things. Here's the couple of other things. Contextually, what Luke is doing is he says in this transition from John the Baptist and the birth stuff to Jesus and his ministry stuff, in this little section of scripture, three things happen to make the turn. The first one is this passage of Jesus' baptism. Got to ask why God chose to do that. I'll come back to that in just a second. The second part, we're not going to deal with that in here. That's the genealogy of Jesus. That's the next few verses. If you look on there, you'll find that. And Luke lays it out. Here's what we need to get from that. Jesus is, in fact, the perfect Messiah, even in his birth line. So two things now we have in this transition. We have the baptism account, and then we have the genealogy account. And then the third part of the transition is Jesus in his temptation. We'll pick that up next week. Three things, three scenes, if you will, that Luke uses to switch from John the Baptist to the ministry of Jesus. So here's my read on it. Why did God do this in the life of Jesus based on what Luke is presenting for us? I believe that it was a strategic move on God's part to get Jesus launched. Now, if that makes you a little uncomfortable, I'm sorry about that, but I'm trying to remember that he's 100% man too. 
It's not that he didn't know. See, there, there is a heresy that's out. And I want to make sure you hear this. I am not preaching this heresy. I'm preaching against this heresy. There is a heresy called adoptionism that basically says that Jesus wasn't the Son of God until this baptism and the Holy Spirit comes on him. You know what? That's heresy. You know what heresy means? It's wrong. All right? Jesus was the Son of God before he was born. Right? Okay, so it's not like all of a sudden the Holy Spirit shows up and, wow, here's our Messiah. Somewhere he already knew it by this time. I'm convinced of that. I just don't know at what point. I don't know how. But by the time we get here, okay, all right, now here's another one of those questions. See, you stick me in a car for 16 hours in a week, I get questions, all right? So I'm going to just share them with you. Here's another question. Why did God wait until Jesus was 30 years old? To kick off his ministry. Why not the 12 year old. Who confounded the scholars in the temple. Why not just go ahead and start then. After all people were lame. And blind and sick back then too. Why wait till this point in his ministry. And how was Jesus supposed to know. At what point does it kick off. See I think there's your answer. To this. I believe that this baptism. What God did with the voice. And the dove was a strategic move that launched Jesus into the battle. Eleven words that pushed him to do what God called him to do. Now that might need a little bit of support for you. Timing is everything sometimes. This is a timing thing, I believe. You know that this... And one other instance we find in all of Luke's gospel, the longest book in the entire New Testament, only two times do we hear the voice of God in a situation like this. It's here, and it's at the transfiguration. And scholars are quick to let us know that at the transfiguration, it was another turning point in the ministry of Jesus. It's where he sets his face to Jerusalem to go and to die for the sins of the world there. And before each of these critical moments in the life of Jesus... We find God showing up in a voice, and in this case, in a dove. It's a critical, strategic move by God that launches Jesus into his ministry. Now, I always like, you know, when I finish the explanation part of Scripture, I always like to ask the question. I don't always verbalize it for you, but I always have it in my mind. So what? So you got a little biblical mental gymnastics, if you will, there in the last 15 minutes. So what? What does that have to say to me in my life, preacher? Well, let me give you a couple of things. Um, I think that God does, in a different context, I'm not Jesus. You should know I know that. You're not Jesus. You should know I know that. But in a different context, I think God does the exact same thing with us that he did with Jesus. Now, maybe not the audible voice from heaven. Maybe not the dove that you know, flies down and sits on your shoulder. But God regularly acts and speaks into your situation. And the result of that is he empowers you and emboldens you for the battle that is ahead of you. I grew up listening to my dad preach, and uh, I think I get a special crown in heaven for that. 
But um, one of the things my dad used to say from time to time, he used to tell, I don't know if it was his own experience or somebody else's experience, but um, <laughs> he used to tell this deal about a marriage counseling situation and a preacher uh, is approached by a couple in his church and they come in and they say, uh, you know, the, the wife's doing all the talking. Say, uh, we got problems here. This guy, you know, he, you need to fix him. And um, so the preacher says, well, I'm not sure I could do that, but I'm happy to talk to y'all. Come on in. So they come in, they sit down, and the wife goes on and on and on. He doesn't love me anymore. He never says that he loves me. I don't don't even know if he loves me. He doesn't act like it, and he certainly never says it. To which the preacher finally heard enough from her, and he looked at him and said, so what do you have to say? Here's what the guy said, allegedly. I told her 40 years ago on our wedding day that I loved her, and if it changes, I'll tell her. Is that how God treats us? Does God treat you in one of those ways where you, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his own, you know, you put your name in there, for God so loved Mark. So, all right, so I heard that now. I don't ever have to hear it again. Is that true for you? Or do you find all through scripture this evidence that God loves you? Aren't you glad that God doesn't do that? I told you once and that ought to be good for all time unless I tell you otherwise stuff. I want you to take that and I want you to pull it in to what we're talking about here. God gives us regular reminders of his love for us. I need to set the tone again for us here. Every one of us are called out of the relative safely of the ch- safety of the church house into a world that is lost, dark, and dangerous. That's you, today, and certainly tomorrow, into the business world, into the classroom, into whatever part of your life, but every part of it out there is dark, dangerous, and full of the need for God. And God says to me and to you, you are my ambassador. You be salt and light in that environment. And it's dangerous out there. And we know it's dangerous. And so that causes us sometimes to shrink back a little bit with the, okay, you know, and you will be my witnesses. Well, you know, actually, I'll just get them to come to church and we'll let the preacher tell them what God has to say. Because we're a little threatened by what's out there. And we need that motivational push. That helps us say, yeah, let's do this. Eleven words that God said to Jesus. Let's take them and see if they don't say something to us. Two truths I've said so far. First of all, I'm going to put them in a different package for you here. Words are powerful. I want you to hang on to that. Words are powerful in our lives. Psychologists tell us. As parents, the things that we say to our kids impact them. Now, some of you sitting out there going, my kid, no, not in my case, because they don't listen to what I say. You'd be surprised what your kid picks up. I had a, worked with a guy one time. Staff member, different church, not here. Nobody would know him. If he walked in the door today, you would know he was. This guy was the most, um, 
Well, does the word mealy-mouthed mean anything to you? How about wimp? This was the wimpiest guy I had ever worked with. Now, I'm saying that in, in, in Christian love. <laughs> he was a wimp. And I regularly, as pastor, had to deal with issues that he would not deal with, with situations that were directly under his control. He was afraid of people. That's a problem for a staff member in a church, be afraid of people, because lots of people in church. And I never understood it, and it used to just eat my lunch with this guy. And then his parents started coming to church every once in a while, not like attending regularly, but they would kind of bounce in and bounce out. And I heard his daddy, now this guy was 30 years old on staff. I heard his daddy say to him in a church full of people one day, what are you, stupid boy? And I watched this kid, 30-year-old kid, wilt in front of me. Our church has a lot of families in it, a lot of young families or families with young children. Parents, be careful what you say to your kids. Because what you say gets in here, but worse than that, it gets in here. And if you say to your kid, you're just dumb, they're going to believe you about that. bunch of teachers in here. You're getting ready to get a whole new crop of students. And my suspicion is, based on the times in which we live, that the majority of the kids that come into your class, if you're a public school teacher, are going to come from homes where bad stuff is being said about them. And you have a chance to be a turning point for that kid. Words are powerful. Be careful what you say. Now with that in mind, I want you to come back to this passage. What did God say to Jesus? Look at the language that he uses. What are the words? Verse 22. And a voice came from heaven. You are my ignorant son. Is that what it says? No. If yours says that, throw that Bible away. No, burn it, because we don't want somebody to go through the trash and find it if it says that. God says, you are my beloved son. Why do you think God said that to Jesus? (laughs) It's true. Well, yeah, it's true, but he could have said a lot of other things. Why at this critical moment in the ministry of Jesus, it's about to kick off, why do you think God said, this is my beloved son? It's the same word, different form, but it's a Greek word from which we get the word agape, which means God kind of love. God says, I godly love you, son. (laughs) See, here's, here's one of the basic points that I operate from. Um, when we go into battle somewhere in the process we tend to believe we fight alone now we might go in with a bunch of other people 
But when somebody's running at me with a sword, I think they're trying to kill me. I'm just kind of like that. I'm selfish like that. It's all about me in the battle. And the reality is that sometimes in the battles that we live, we forget that God's out there. And even when we're fighting the battle for him, we can think we're doing it alone. What a great statement that God would say to me. Oh, no, wait a minute. I haven't established that yet, have I? Let me give you a couple of verses of Scripture. I'll just, in the interest of time, I'll just give you one. It ought to be enough. What does God say about you? If he says of Jesus, my beloved son, we get that, okay? The divine, you know, trinity part of that. Well, of course that's, you know, yes. But the human side of Jesus needed to hear this, I think. Just like you need to hear it. Because there's enough voices out there that say you're good for nothing. You'll never account for anything. You're too stupid to figure that out. We need to hear our Father say to us, you're my beloved. I love you. First John chapter 3, verse 1. says, I'll put it in the Road Trammel translation for the day. How great love the Father has given us that we should be called the children of God. <laughs> I need to hear that when I'm fighting battles. Don't you? Because implied in that statement is God saying, I will never leave you out there to fight by yourself. Our world is full of Christian people who made a decision to trust Christ for their eternity, they have no clue that he walks with them today. Words are powerful. And the word of God says how incredible it is that God loved me so much that I could be called his child. Words are powerful. God empowers you for the battle, the storytelling battle that is yours by telling you who you are. That's good news. But here's another reality for you. I'm just going to give straight out of my own experience. Sometimes I can get that. I get the audible stuff. You know, okay, God says this. Gotcha. Thank you. Then I get so caught up in the battle of life that I start second-guessing what I think I heard. <laughs> oh, maybe he wasn't really talking to me. Maybe he was talking to the guy next to me because after all, he's a lot more lovely than I am. So God, in this case with Jesus, doesn't only give the audible voice. I, I should stop for a second. This is a good time to put yourself into the Bible story. Put yourself on the bank of the Jordan River, and John has just baptized Jesus. He's come up, he's praying there, and everybody's standing around going, who's next? And all of a sudden, this is my, I can't do a God voice. Um, imagine the power of that moment. And then hear it in your spirit. God says, you're mine. You're mine. I love you. But sometimes in the battle, those voices seem to be far away. And sometimes I 
start double thinking it and questioning what I heard. And in this case, God doesn't just give the audible, he gives the visible. And so in the form of a dove, the Holy Spirit rests and Luke is intentional here. Mark says into Jesus, but Luke says rested on Jesus. This visible appearance of a manifestation of God sits down just in case you misinterpret the voice, you get the picture. God's kind of like that. He gives us everything we need to go into the battle. This week, I had a chance to visit with my son. I had Friday, Saturday, and Sunday responsibilities at the church where I went to help my friend and uh, and it was Sunday evening, my son was preaching at the church I came from. He's a youth minister there. And so I drove across about uh, not quite an hour. And I drove across and got there in time to sit down and listen to him preach. And uh, then I spent Monday with him, all day Monday. His wife was working, as it should be. He and I were messing around. She was working. Um, and um, in the process of that, we were talking about some of the battles of his life right now. And, you know, he's, it's just typical stuff. Except when it's yours, it's not typical. It's extraordinary. In the middle of that, he said, you know, Dad, he had no clue what I was preaching on today, but it fits so well. He said, you know, Dad, it, it means so much to me that I can look backwards and I can hear you say, I'm proud of you, son. I try to be really intentional to say that to him. Oh, I should have said here, God says to Jesus, you're my beloved. What's the rest of it? With you, I am, well, pleased means proud. And so God brags on him a little bit. And so I try to be intentional with our kids through the years. Now, I hack on Lauren a lot from up here, but that's, she knows that we're just messing around. But I tell our kids on a regular basis, I'm proud of you. I'm proud to be your dad. So Colin said, it means a lot to me as I look backwards and I see that you said that to me a lot. But he said, you know, what's even better than that is that you, you and mom showed us that you were proud of us. You, you went to the stuff we were doing and you were engaged with us through the course of the process. And he said, I can remember <laughs> being out on the basketball court on a soccer field and I'd be so into the game and I'd be just losing my head and I'd look over there and you're doing this. Remember, I talked about that in here, that I would just point to him and say, you know, it's like saying, use your head. That's a nice way of saying, what are you, dumb boy? No, I didn't mean that. (laughs) Engage. I never knew until last Monday that that connected with him. But he said, I can remember looking over. I'd be so mad in a game. I'd look over there and you're doing like this. And it forced me to settle in. Let me tell you something. The visible is just as powerful as the verbal with God. And so God says to Jesus, right before he goes into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights to do battle with the devil, and if he loses in the wilderness in those 40 days and 40 nights, the entire salvation mission is scrubbed. That's battle. 
your eternity hanging in the balance. And Jesus walks off out of the river into the wilderness with an 11-word motivational speech from God. You're my son. I love you. And I'm proud of you. Sick them. Oh, wait a minute. That's an Aggie thing. <laughs> How is it with you today? You ready to go to battle? You better be because it's coming to you. And God says, I love you. I'm so proud of you. Get after it. Let's pray. Wow, Lord, this is, um, this is good. I appreciate the way you involve yourself for our sakes. We need what you give. And even in our worst thinking, when we think we can go it alone, we deep down know that it's of no use. So I thank you that you make it possible for us to be called your children, that your love is so intense that you involve yourself and you invest yourself in us. And you give us a responsibility in the battle of life to tell the story of grace, of the grace one, your son who died for us. So speak into us today and send us out, not just with your blessing and not just with the visible evidence that you're with us, but with a heart that is empowered and emboldened for the battle. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.